Well, amen. That was great. Thank you, ladies, for that. Why don't we open up in a word of prayer uh, before we get into the rest of the service. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for your love for us and by showing it to us, by coming down on this earth, living a life that we couldn't live, dying a death that we couldn't die so that we could have eternal life with you. We're so grateful for that and all that we celebrate uh, this time of year, just your incarnation, your birth uh, as a man. And so, Lord, I just pray that you be with us through the rest of this service, Lord, that, that you would take the time that we spend in your word and that you be glorified through it. And I, I pray that you would speak to our hearts uh, in a way that you never have before, Lord, and, and um, that you would use it uh, mightily in our lives and, and uh, in the lives of this church. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas. All right, well, yeah, let's, let's, do it. let's do it one more time. Let's do it one more time. Merry Christmas. Yeah, that, that's great. It is, it's a great time of year, obviously. It's one of my favorite times of the year. This is one of, one of my favorite services, so I'm excited to finally get here to this day. It's a special day. We have special music. We do special things. We'll sing more at the end. We, won't, we typically close our services with just one song. We'll have more than one song today, so we'll continue uh, to sing praises to the Lord. But it's, it's obviously just a special time to celebrate, obviously, the birth of Jesus Christ. And celebrating the birth of Jesus is a wonderful thing and, and one that has near universal appeal, right, even across the world. It's recognized worldwide. It's celebrated in some form around most of the world. Um, you know, I, I think if you were to go down our, our kids' hall this morning and take a, a poll of their favorite day of the year, you know, Christmas would be pretty high. I think, you know, it's probably the, the overwhelming favorite, um, and it's a day of gift-giving, and who doesn't like presents? So, I mean, you know, it's, it's our, our kids love it. But, but here's the interesting thing about Christmas. With all of that, with all the excitement, with all of the cool things surrounding Christmas, at its core, Christmas is a day, and it's a season of contrast, and, and even seeming contradictions. Now that may sound confusing, that may even sound a little bit wrong, but, but let me try to explain it to you. So I want you to just think about this for a second. Because on one hand, we set aside tomorrow, th that day and this season, to celebrate Jesus coming to the earth to save us. Right? Luke 2.14, part of that famous Christmas passage that, you know, that, that Charlie Brown made popular, um, is we read this verse in Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest, and, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Because Jesus is peace, peace. Jesus came to this earth as our peace, and we get our peace from him. And the contrast to that is that while that sentiment is, is, is obviously true, we know it to be true, it's contrasted by the furious nature of this time of year, with folks rushing everywhere, you know, traffic, madness. Jennifer and I went to Canton on Friday. We should have known better <laughs> than to do that. Uh, procrastination is not our friend all the time. And, you know, and it's just crowds and, and traffic. And, and, you know, we try to keep impossible schedules at this time with just different events and family and, and Christmas parties. And, and the truth is they're in the midst of what we're celebrating is on earth, peace, there can be very little peace. You know, so much so that even suicide rates peak around this time of year. There are crowds, there's all everything. 
And then on, on one hand, you know, 2,000 years ago, one star lit the sky to, to the spot where the Lord was born. And now there are just lights everywhere. You know, there's just lights everywhere. There's houses are filled with lights and trees and lights everywhere that shine so many places. You know, we're, we're almost drowning in lights around Christmas season. All the stores are lit up. You know, the places that where to go to buy stuff that you don't need that doesn't fit anyway. Um, you know, they're all lit up. And it, it's quite the contrast. You know, the first Christmas was a poor one that included swaddling clothes in a manger because there was no room in the inn. But Christmas today, at least in America, is a display of wealth as millions of people spend billions of dollars, you know, to indulge in, in temporal things. And, and at the first Christmas, wise men came to worship. And today, fools worldwide ignore the one that the wise men came to worship. And instead, they worship Santa Claus. You know, a mythical, seemingly supernaturally empowered somewhat obese man who slides down chimneys <laughs> and whose primary verbal contribution to the world is ho, ho, ho. <laughs> All the while, juxtaposed to, to, to Santa Claus is none other than the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is supernatural, the God-man whose words are eternal and life-giving. And Santa Claus gives you what you want because you deserve it, because you made the nice list. But Jesus Christ gives you exactly what you need, even though you don't deserve it, because of his grace. You see, there are some weird contrasts that we all navigate through at this time of year. And I don't even point those out as a bad thing. Enjoy all of the Christmas lights and tradition and presents. Of course, we do. Enjoy all of the traditions you have established for your family during the season, whatever you have going on later today, tomorrow, whenever it is that you celebrate it. That is all good. Put up the lights. They're great. But I, but I do want to encourage you this morning to, to personally grapple with the contrast that, that does matter the most. And that's the contrast of Jesus. I want, I want you to grapple with who he is and and what exactly he means to you, because there's also a contrasting and, and even what seems to be contradictory nature of Christianity that actually demonstrates to us the supernatural character and revelation of Jesus. And I want to explain that contrasting nature of Christianity out of the, the second chapter of the book of Philippians this morning. So it's Philippians chapter 2, and I understand that Philippians chapter 2 is not your typical Christmas passage, but it is a passage that shows better than most the importance of exactly what happened when Jesus came to the earth. So it's absolutely relevant to everything we're here to celebrate today. And the, the exact text we're going to be looking at is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. So if you have your Bible with, with you this morning, you're Certainly welcome to turn there and follow along with me, or you could just pay attention to the screens behind me. All the verses that I read, everything that we'll be going over this morning will be up there as well. But Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, the Bible says this. This is written by the Apostle Paul, and he says, Let this mind be in you, 
which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now those verses that, that I just read, they, they lay out what I see as three primary contrasts that are so important to our personal understanding of Christmas and who Jesus really is and, and, and what he should mean to us. And it's, it's truly a magnificent portion of scripture. If you've been around church very long, you've probably heard it, you know, read, talked about, cross-referenced, preached at, at, at some level. It's a beautiful portion of scripture. It's a magnificent portion of scripture that begins in heaven and it ends in heaven. It starts with Christ's exalted position, who being in the form of God. That's where it starts, and then it ends with his exaltation in glory, and with every knee bowing and every tongue confessing. So it starts in heaven, it ends in heaven, but between those positions, the Apostle Paul describes the time that Jesus spent on earth. When he came to earth as a baby, born of a virgin mother, conceived of the Holy Spirit. But listen, all of that, his time on earth, him coming to earth as a baby, his, his, his coming as a man, that in and of itself is the contrast of Christmas. Because it was an enormous step down that Christ took. To be born as a baby. It starts in heaven, it ends in heaven, but in between, he comes down to us. It was a step from exaltation to humiliation. And that brings us to the first point that I want to discuss this morning, which is the contrast of Christ's identity. The contrast of Christ's identity. Paul speaks of Christ Jesus in verse 5 and says, listen, we, we need to have the same mind that he had. And, and, and this is when he was in heaven, he chose to come down to this earth. We need to have this mind. And then in verse 6, he unveils Christ's true identity. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He gives us his true identity right there. And, I, and I'll just say for a second, I know that normally we have the outline for you and, and blanks to fill in and and you're looking at a blank pad. I know you're like flipped over and you're ready to fill in that first blank and it's not there. Well, that, that was intentional just because I want you to be able to take as many notes as you want. I want you to feel free to just listen to me too as well. So you don't, you know, you're not missing what's being said because, you know, you're, you're so focused on, on getting the blank. But in verse 6, he, Paul unveils Christ's true identity. And listen, understanding and, and coming to grips with the true identity of Jesus as God, and not just a baby, and knowing him as such, knowing him as God, is the most important understanding you can ever come to. You know, during Christ's earthly ministry, 
there was a point in time where Jesus turned to his disciples and he asked them a question. He said, hey, I, I want to know, who, do, who are the people out there, who do they think that I am? Who, who do they think that I am? You can find this exchange in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and all three of those Gospels. The example in Matthew is found in chapter 16, starting in verse 13. And there the Bible says, And when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, and some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So he asked him this question, Who do people think that I am? And they're like, well, you know, they don't really know. Some people think you're John. Some people think you're Elijah. Some people think you're Jeremiah or just one of the other prophets. All of those answers were wrong. It's not who, it's not who Jesus was. But Jesus doesn't even address the, address the fact that those answers were wrong. He just turned to his disciples and he made it personal. Because the very next verse, verse 15 says, He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Who do you say? So that, okay, that's who they say. Who do you guys say that I am? And he did that because who you say he is, that's all that matters. You see, it doesn't matter what they say, the proverbial they. It doesn't matter what they say. It only matters what you say. And that statement is true for them, it was true for them, it's certainly true for us today. Do you know who Jesus is? Because there are all sorts of ideas and thoughts about who Jesus was or who he is today, but many of them are wrong. And this verse in Philippians tells us exactly who he is, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. You see, Jesus is unequivocally and undeniably God. But because of his love for us, he humbled himself to come to earth as a man, to save us. He lived that contrast of being God and yet becoming a man for us. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And, in, and when Paul's writing that verse, is he talking about some material wealth? No, of course not. When Paul says that though he was rich, he was talking about Christ's glory as God. That's his richness. And, and I want you to think about that for a second. Because if Jesus is God, that means he's eternal. Right, we think of Jesus as, as coming down as a baby and living 33 years on this earth. We think of Jesus as a man, but he was so much more than that. He certainly was that, but he was also God. And if he was God, that means he's eternal. And so Paul was talking about the riches of the eternality of Christ, the preexistence of Christ. He is a member of the eternal trinity and the eternality of Christ as God, listen carefully, is one of the most crucial truths in the Bible. There was never a moment when Jesus Christ did not exist. Now, not always in human form, obviously. That does have a finite limit. But the second member of the trinity is eternal. 
And cults teach against that. They teach it differently, but they're wrong. And arguments for the eternality and for the deity of Christ, they're inseparable. He cannot be God and then not be eternal. And this is fundamental to understanding the importance of Christmas. And you even see this truth in the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus' birth. So, for example, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born. That child is Jesus. This is the prophecy that Isaiah spoke about hundreds of years before he was born. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. And look at that next phrase. The everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's who Jesus was. That's who Jesus is. Everlasting. In Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, again, written hundreds of years before Jesus was born, prophesying that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. It says, but thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, thou will be little amongst the, among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be the ruler in Israel. Speaking of Jesus. But listen to this next phrase. Whose going forth, goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. You see, Jesus is everlasting. Jesus is eternal. And if Jesus is eternal, as these verses claim, then he, of course, is therefore God. And therefore, owns it all. That's the riches he gave up as God, owner of everything. Psalm chapter 50, verses 10 through 12 says, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. That's God. That's Jesus. It's all his. We like to think that, you know, the money that we make and the stuff that we buy, we like to think that it's ours. And God's given us stewardship and management of it while we're on this earth. But listen, it's all his. Everything is his because he's God. And that is the position that he come, came from. He owns all power. He owns all authority, all sovereignty, all glory, all honor, all majesty. The wealth of our Lord Jesus is beyond comprehension. When Paul said the, he came from riches, that's the wealth he's talking about. It's boundless. It's infinite. And he is infinite. And his wealth is infinite as his being. And yet for our sakes, he became poor and took on the humiliation of being a man. And it's not humiliating for us. That's who we are. That's how God made us. But it was for him. That's a, that's a big step down. And he didn't do it for his own sake. He did it for our sake. He did it for you. And he did it for me. And when we look at his poverty, we have to look at it in the contrast to his riches. And when we look at the exaltation, we have to look at it in the light of, in the contrast of, his humiliation. That is Philippians 2.7. He, he was in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God because he was God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. That's what Jesus did. 
And if his riches and his exaltation are tied to his deity, then that means his poverty and his humiliation must be tied to his incarnation. That's how the rich became poor, when he was born of a woman. Galatians 4.4 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. And that was Jesus. And Jesus is God. You cannot escape his true identity. But there's an interesting contrast there. That he was God and he became man. But listen, what that means is you cannot worship God without worshiping Christ. That's what the wise men did at his birth. It's, it's actually what made them wise. Matthew 2.11 says, And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And I want you to notice the specific words in that verse. Right? It says, They fell down and worshipped who? They worshipped him. Not them. Not Mary, not Joseph, not the Holy Family. No, there's no such thing. They worshiped him. They worshiped Jesus alone because he is the only one who is worthy of that because he's the only one who is God. Jesus said this very clearly while he was on the earth. For example, John 10 verse 30 says, I and my Father are one. John chapter 5 verse 23, he said, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which has sent him. And that's why any view, there's a, there's a, there's a popular, you know, you can call it multi-faithism, you can call it whatever you want, but there's a popular view today that says, you know, all, all, roads, all roads lead to heaven. And we, we all really serve the same God anyway. We just call them different names. You know, maybe you call him Allah, maybe you call him God, maybe you call him whatever, you know. It's, it's all the same God, it's just different names. Listen, that is a, that's a lie. There's a lie from the devil to get you to not accept the one true God that is Jesus, who said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So if you think there are many ways to God this morning, I have to tell you that the Christian gospel is a denial of that. And listen, we must all deal with the biblical fact of that at, in our life at some point. And that brings us to the second contrast of Christmas, which is the contrast of Christ's intention. The contrast of Christ's intention. So why did he do it? If he was God, if he lived, you know, exalted in heaven... Why did he do it? Why did he give up that glory and come to earth? What was his intentions in living 33 years as a man? Well, Paul deals with that contrast in verse 8. He says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So Jesus, God in flesh, came to this earth to be obedient unto death. He came to this earth to die. But listen, God becoming flesh does, does not mean, you know, back to our last point, does not mean he divested himself of being God in the process. 
or that he wasn't God while he was on earth. No, he was always God. He had to be. Because even being obedient unto death, he still had to be mighty God in order for, by that death, he could conquer death. That's exactly what he did. He had to be God to say, I lay down my life so that others can live. No one else could do that but God. And it was his it, it was his incarnation being born that Christmas morning that made all that possible. So when he came to earth, he didn't give up anything related to his deity other than his environment, from exaltation to humiliation, from eternal riches to poverty. He laid aside that majesty and that glory, but he remained God to come meet us where we were at which was in our sin. Mark 10, verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. And as we explore Scripture, we find this very clear intention behind his life and death all throughout the Bible. We do not have to wonder the reason why he came to earth and and why he had to die. Colossians 1.20 says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in, heaven, in earth or things in heaven. You see, he left that exaltation for humiliation for you and me to make peace for us. And if you're hearing this for the first time, I want you to grasp that good news as your own. Because it was in that poverty and that humiliation that we are given the opportunity to become rich. Again, not with material wealth. With something so much better. With eternal wealth. With eternal life. And that is the contrast. Because Christ had to die so that we can live. His intention in his own death was our life. And we cannot have eternal life with him without it. The Bible says that we have a problem. We have a debt that we owe because of our sin. And we can't pay for it. We don't have, at least we don't have the riches to pay for it. Only Christ does. And he paid for it through his death. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. The wages is what we earn. We've earned death because of our sin, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And according to the Bible, when we accept that gift of grace, which was him dying for our sins, because he's the only one who could afford it. He was the only one who was perfect and without sin. So his death is the only acceptable sacrifice. When we believe that, and when we accept it as truth and recognize our need for a Savior, and him as the only one who can save us. In that moment when we place our faith in his work on the cross, we get put in Christ and we get eternal life. Ephesians 1.7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. It's his riches. It's his grace. And in that moment when we place our faith in his riches, in his grace, 
in his work. We become rich with the same riches that he possessed and still possesses. Rich in salvation, rich in forgiveness, in joy, in peace, in life, in light, in glory, in holiness and majesty. We're so rich that we're called joint heirs with Christ. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, listen to this, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. What a great promise that is. When we accept Christ, the very life of God dwells in us. An eternal life with God exists because of Jesus' death. What a great contrast. But if you just believe it and accept it, you have a spot reserved in heaven for you. That's why Jesus came. That is what we celebrate at Christmas. It's obviously about Christ and not Santa. And Christ came to live that perfect life and then die as a perfect sacrifice for you and me. That's what the Bible calls the gospel. Gospel just means good news. And listen, there is no better news that you could ever hear than that. You find it specifically in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preach unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. The gospel is our means to salvation, if you keep in memory. That I preached unto you unless ye have believed in vain. And here it is. He defines it for us. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. And according to Romans 10 verses 9 and 10. If you place your faith in that finished work of Christ. In his death, burial, and resurrection. You can be saved. That's how you are born again, spiritually, with eternal riches. Again, not material ones, but eternal life in Christ. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, That of thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Listen, I want you to know very clearly this morning, that Christ's intention, when he came to this earth, when he left his exaltation for his humiliation, when he left eternal riches for the poverty of this earth, when he did that, he had a clear, clear intention. And that intention was to save you. That intention was to save me. For God so loved the world, they gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's a clear intention. But here's the thing that you need to know about that. That salvation is not automatic. Romans 3.22 says, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all that believe. You see, his offer of salvation is unto all. The offer is to the world. It's not to a limited group of people. It's to everybody. But it's also only upon them that believe. 
His salvation offer is available, but it's not automatic. It's for everyone, but you don't get it if you don't accept it. It is a gift, according to Romans 6.23, that we read, and, and we all understand how this works. If I have a gift and I bring it to you, if you don't take it and claim it as your own, then it's not yours. It's available, but it's not automatic. But all you have to do to accept the gift of Christ is to make a decision to place your faith in what he did by believing the gospel for yourself. Believing that in his death, burial, and resurrections, that he died for your sins, that you can't die for your own, and you're placing your faith in what he did as the only acceptable sacrifice. And listen, if you've never done that, God's salvation, while available to you, is not applied to you. Revelation twenty-two seventeen says, In the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. You see, your salvation is only limited by your unwillingness to take of the water of life and drink it freely. And that brings us to the final contrast in our passage this morning. And that is the contrast of Christ's invitation. The contrast of Christ's invitation. And that invitation is to accept his gift of grace as you accept him for who he really is. You see, Christ is inviting you today to accept why he came to this earth. Look at verses 9 through 11 of Philippians chapter 2. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Paul said that every knee, that every knee should bow, and that every tongue, everyone, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the reason why we should bow our knee and we should confess our tongue is because of his identity and his intention. It's because he's God and he came to save us. So, so what else, what other appropriate response is there to that than to just do what he asks of us, to just accept his offer? You see, as God, he chose to come to this earth to seek and to save that which was lost. And until you place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, that description of lost includes you. You are lost, but you sure can be found. And the invitation is to be found now, to believe in Christ and make him your savior today while there is still time. Because listen to me very carefully. The question is not if you will ever bow and confess him as Lord. The question is when. When are you going to do it? Are you going to do it on this earth while you are alive and can still have eternal life with him? Or are you going to do it when it's too late? After you're gone and separated from him in hell forever. Because you're going to do it now or then. 
every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So why don't you do it now? And the contrast of this last point is in our heart. Because some of you listening to me know that you need to bow and you need to confess and you need to make him Lord. But you don't know if you want to. And it seems like a hard thing to do. Because we like to be the Lord of our own life. And we don't want to have to answer to someone else. We want to sit on the throne of our life. We don't want him there. But listen, you are doing that. You are serving someone or something, whether you know it or not. Romans chapter 6 tells us that before we come to Christ, we are a servant of sin. We are a slave to sin. You're giving your life to something. Why don't you give it to him? So I promise you that if you give your life to him today, he won't do wrong with it. He won't do wrong by you. You gain so much more than you ever give up. And the fact is, one day we are going to answer for what we did with the invitation that God's given us. And it's only the devil that is telling you that it's too much to give up, that it's too hard to do. God actually wants to bring you peace and give you peace, not only for eternal life, but for this life as well. Because that's what this invitation will do. Earlier we read Micah 5.2, right? The, the Old Testament prophecy of Jesus being born in Bethlehem. Well, that passage goes on further describing the prophecy of Christ. It goes on to say in verse 5 this about Jesus. And this man shall be the peace. That's who he is. And yet, like I talked about in the introduction, I, I know this time of year with all of its excitement and, and fun and family time and all that is also a time that people lack peace and deal with depression and deal with sadness. It's not long after Christmas that the bills come due. Winter sets in. You know, sometimes people are sad for who's not sitting at the Christmas table this year and, and things are different and not in a good way. And that's all legitimate and that's all real. And what's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year many times isn't. Or at least it doesn't feel that way. But if that's you, I desperately want you to know that the invitation God has given you is about peace. And make, making peace with God so that you can then experience the peace of God. And peace is always available through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a supernatural peace that you can have because there's a supernatural God that loves you and cares for you deeply enough to leave heaven, to come to this earth, to die for you. To die for your sins that you couldn't pay for on your own. And he knows how you're feeling. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. You see, God left heaven, came to earth, became a man, and experienced when he was on this earth for those 33 years, experienced everything we did. We do. The highs, the lows, the good, the bad, the times of peace, the, the times of despair. He felt it all, yet without sin, yet perfectly. Because he was able to do that, he knows what you're going through. 
and he knows how to heal not only your eternal soul, but your soul today. And isn't that a great thing? God is there for all of us wherever we find ourselves. But you have to say yes to his invitation and surrender yourself to him. So why don't you do that today? As the old hymn, old hymn says, All to Jesus I surrender. All to thee I freely give. I will ever love and trust you. In your presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender. Lord, I give myself to thee. Fill me with your love and power. Let your blessing fall on me. All to Jesus I surrender. Now I feel the sacred flame. Oh, the joy of full salvation. Glory, glory to your name. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. And with, and with no one looking around, I just want to ask you a question. There's some people that are moving around the stage, but I want you to focus on me for a second. And I just want to ask you a question. Hearing what, what you've heard this morning, do you remember and know of a time that you accepted Christ's invitation? That you understood his intention to come to this earth and his identity of who he is. And, and you accepted his invitation to join him in eternal life by placing your faith in his work. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're saved? And that if you were to die today, that you would spend an eternity with him? And if the answer to any of those questions is no, I just want to pray for you. That's all I want to do. I want to pray for you. So if there's anyone here this morning who is not sure if you're saved, if you're not sure where you would go to spend eternity if you died today, I'd just like for you to raise your hand. If there's anyone here, if you just raise your hand, I just want to pray for you. Do we have anyone here in the room this morning that would, that would say, Troy, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. Like I, I've maybe thought that I was saved, and, but I don't know that there's a time. Is there anyone? Well, praise the Lord. Well, praise the Lord. And if we're all in here this morning, and as every single one of us know the Lord as our Savior, then, man, we should be about his mission. We should be about the, the life that he came to, to live for us, gave us a pattern. You know how Paul started in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we are to mind the things of Christ. We're to mind his life. We're to be about his life and let him live through us. And so if you need to do that today, if you're a Christian in here today and you say, you know what? I don't know that I have his mind. I'd, I, I need to have his mind more. Why don't you raise your hand? I just want to pray for you as well. Just lift your hand up just as an acknowledgement to the Lord. Yeah, I see you guys. Thank you. I'm just going to pray for you, and I want you to just be encouraged in, in, in that what God has for you is best and what God has for you is right, and that you'll never regret living your life for him. Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to close out in, in prayer, and, um, and if there's anyone that needs to come forward, 
uh, for, for prayer this morning. Well, I, when I'm finished praying, we're going to close out in a few songs. We have a few songs that we're going to celebrate this season again. We'll have some of our pastors will just be up here at the front. And if you need prayer for salvation, I know that no one raised their hand for salvation, and that's fine. But if, if, if maybe you just didn't have the courage to do it, but you're still grappling with it, and you just would like someone to talk to, why don't you just come forward? Just come forward today, and we'll have one of our guys over here. You can, they'll meet you in the aisle, and, and they'll just answer any of your questions. They can show you from the Bible what it means to be saved. Or if you are a Christian and you just you need to rededicate your life to the Lord, why don't you just come and have one of us pray with you? We'd be honored to do that. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you again for coming to this earth. Thank you again for, for the... Um, intention that you had to save us in, in a way that we couldn't save ourselves. There's nothing we can do, Lord, to earn that salvation, Lord, but you did it all. And so thank you so much for that. And, and just what we celebrate this time of year uh, is just the, the beginning of that. You had to come as a man. And thank you for leaving the riches of heaven, the glory of heaven, the exaltation of heaven to come down and to be found as a, in fashion as a, of a man, as a servant. Uh, for us. We love you. We thank you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.